0: everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Now, I've gone far too deep here, haven't I? (laughs) But I think I am, yet again, on Bloody Well. But this is the intro that, listen, not every intro can be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Sometimes it's a guy disgusted by the timbre of his own voice. But it's me, Will Duggan. It's you.
1: Laura Lex.
0: It's National Treasures, the podcast. Um, this, Laura, wraps up our final episode on Camby Island, doesn't it? Yeah. We're doing a deep dive.
1: Yeah, and sort of... Says goodbye to our day trips. So, I did sort of briefly mention it at the end of last week's episode, but um, patrons, you already know this. But for regular listeners, um, Will and I cannot keep doing the National Treasures in the format it currently is. It's too much work. And frankly, you dragged your feet becoming patrons. So, we don't get paid for this. Um, So, the day trips are going to largely stop. We will be trying to go as often as possible. Um, and uh, putting those out on the Patreon as a, hey, look, a day trip, fun however what we're going to be doing is years and years which you'll have heard a few of every time we put one on the main feed and the patrons know it very well that will be coming to the main feed twice a month and if you want it every month you just sign up at Patreon every week every week yes uh, twice a twice a month and if you want it every week just go to patreon.com and join there and join the lovely lovely community of Um, but if uh, you just want two a month they will be here on the main feed um, um so this is this is kind of it for deep dives on stuff, and uh it its might be the first time will that the subject chosen has ever been vaguely related to the day trip we did.
0: Oh, wow. What a way to go out. We finally hit our stride and we're like, anyway, enough of this.
1: Yeah. So we went to Canvey Island and then there is a chat with Esther Manito that lives in the ether somewhere. And uh, obviously one of the big things at Canvey Island is the big seawall with its incredible... um, murals about how the Great Flood affected the area. So Badly. Very badly. So we're gonna talk that through a little bit and then there is some extra reading that I would very much recommend everybody does.
0: Sure. So guys, um you're gonna get homework on this episode, (laughs) but because this is the last ever episode of this format, we'll never check if you did it. So the only person you're lying to is yourself.
1: Ah, that's teacher Duggan. So, the Great Flood happened in 1953, also called the North Sea Flood, because that's where the flood happened. It was all in the North Sea, Will. Sure. And it largely affected, um, the Netherlands was sort of the worst struck, really. Um, There was some flooding in Northwest Belgium, and then there was also flooding into England and Scotland. And this Mm -hmm. flood comes right on the very last day of January 1953, so not too dissimilar a time of year to right now.
0: No, a few weeks earlier, but also seventy years previous.
1: Yes, that's how time works. Um, and it this is this like blew my mind a little bit. It flooded land that was up to eighteen feet above sea level.
0: Yeah, that's massive, isn't it? That is not being a prick. That's like three six foot guys stood on each other's shoulders above sea level, and you're like, "Well, it's wet up here still."
1: Yeah. Wild. So the the Netherlands was the worst affected because the Netherlands lies so low. So the Netherlands is, I think, and I don't think I'm speaking up to her, I think it's reclaimed marshland in a lot of areas.
0: I think there are parts of the Netherlands that are below sea level.
1: Yes, a lot of them. So roughly 20% of it was below sea level. So relied on sea defences, which at this point were just totally overwhelmed. And what's interesting about the 1953 flood is that so it led to so much restructuring of sea defences. So it was after this flood is when uh, England put in the Thames Barrier. Okay, um, Which it kind of, that was one of those bits that, you know, when you, everything's a bit London-centric and you go, ooh. I, and I'm sure it protects more than London, but it is sort of, it described all the flooding in, in the UK, which I'll go through in a minute. But then it said, so afterwards they built the Thames Barrier to protect central London... <laughs> Oh, OK, what about Essex and... Um, n- no? OK,
0: never mind. But- After watching the destruction in Rotterdam and Essex, people thought the best thing to do would be to protect the South Bank.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure it protects more than that, but that line really kind of um, amused me. And then um, the Netherlands put in... Is it the Delta Barrier or something like that? They, they sort of massively restructured their... Um, uh, flood defences so we'll quickly run through the death toll because i know it's not very chirpy and with a subject like this we are not the experts so i don't want to dwell on the terrible sadness um because we don't do it as skillfully as others do. Uh, So there were nearly 2,000 deaths recorded in the Netherlands, um, 1,836 and 70,000 evacuations. Um, In England, there were 307 people killed, 28 in Belgium and 19 in Scotland. And then there were also 230 at sea deaths reported. Um, So it's a horrible story, which I've just not gone into because it's just tragedy and that's not what we're here for, um, with the with a sort of passenger ferry that was really one of the first things to go down in the high winds.
0: Or just out there in the sea and then for yeah. bloody bloody hellfire.
1: Yeah. So because basically what's happening. So, to look at like the technicalities of the storm, and this is going to be so basic. So, if you're listening and you are a storm chasing storm legend hoping to listen to this for an interesting tip that you've never heard anywhere else before, just turn it off now. You're not going to get one. This is painting with such a broad brush it's a mop, okay? Listen
0: listen guys, we tried to do respect for the dead, but when it comes to respect for the storm, we got fuck all.
1: <laughs> I've done my best. So, so geographically what's happening is from about midday on the 31st of January, the North Sea is beginning to be affected by these wildly strong gale force winds. So you've got a lot of water that's being pushed up by these massive winds kind of going up between Norway and Scotland. Okay. In a, in a northwesterly gale. And all this water's being pushed that way by these wild, wild winds. And then there's this high spring tide as well. And I don't really understand tides. I don't want to get too lex education here, but I, have, I just don't fully understand them. But something about this tide, there was more water than you'd normally expect in a tide.
0: Do you know, I was going to try and be like, here's my explanation. Here, here's what I think tides are. But then suddenly, in my explanation, I can't explain more water. So I'm just going to no, go, yeah. thank you for letting me know. I uh, appreciate the information and I'll be quiet and wait for the next time for me to talk.
1: I have to assume somewhere else is having a very low tide, a low spring tide, because like, the North yeah, Sea is having a high... There can't be just more water, can there? It's...
0: The sea isn't like the sandpit at a nursery school, like where the teacher knows there's a little bit more in the cupboard if they really need it. No. <laughs> the amount of water in the sea, you've got to assume, is roughly level.
1: Yeah. Science with two idiots. Hello? So if there's
0: more. It's like I've got seven pound coins. If I want more over here, I have to have less over here. Yeah, I, I can't be like, sure, but these seven, I've got 11 of them, actually. Is There's that tides?
1: So- is this tides?
0: <laughs> Who's the tide a tidal expert? <laughs> There's only so much sea.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of it is in the North Sea, apparently, today, oh my on the God, 31st of January.
0: What about the naval reserves? <laughs> oh...
1: I did that like was, it, actually. That was quite a good joke, though. Yeah, I think it was your delivery that put me off that
0: one. I feel really you did. Unwell. You did
1: sort of like a, a comic, um, confused hand. <laughs> um,
0: but here's the thing, Laurie, you've got to understand, my voice is gravelly because for some reason my chest has decided that I'm dying. I don't know if you can see this, I've got one eye glued shut.
1: Oh, yeah, you have. It's such a gloomy morning, I hadn't noticed. You've got conjunctivitis.
0: You know, I've got an eye infection.
1: God, having kids sounds great. Well, it's not. <laughs> I love that Becca's just glowing and swanning around and just taking it all in a stride, and you are outwardly happy and confident, but your body is just falling
0: apart. I'm becoming, day by day, Long John fucking Silver. <laughs> yeah. We've gone all gravelly on like one eye. <laughs>
1: wake up and she's just gnawing your leg off below the knee
0: i get home from i get home from work i've got fucking mary poppins there be like hello
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh poor mr banks so we've got a lot of water in the north sea so it's and it's all kind of gathering off the dutch coast and Mm. and it does say that there was more water there than had ever been recorded before But then it's kind of interesting because despite this sort of building up through the day in 1953, uh, uh, on the 31st of January, it's 1953, so there's less media ability to warn people. So there's Mm -hmm. a a lot of chat, and we're going to talk about something more interesting about uh, warnings later on. But that inability to make a meaningful warning is fascinating with with this tragedy.
0: Yeah, because like, do you mean like the radio was not, the TV wasn't everywhere, everyone had a radio, but you couldn't sit out like a crew, and you can't have a paper being like, evacuate yesterday.
1: Yeah, well, basically, there's there are a couple of radio broadcasts, but basically, by the time they really knew that it was going to be Um, A a very brutal flood Mm. The mainstream news was News was done 6pm had been and gone And so there's a radio warning That goes out at midnight But then the radio switch off overnight that that's it. The, there's no. It's not twenty four hour broadcasting.
0: Not so yet. they
1: do kind of try and let people know, but there's not enough to really prepare. So the next morning, low tide comes round, and we're, we're focusing on the Netherlands just for this first explanation. Sure, sure, of it. sure, sure, sure. Low tide comes around, but the water doesn't really go down like it should. Um, So the strength of the wind out at sea has just fully disrupted the tidal patterns. Um, I think some water went out with the tide, what I can work out, but the winds have broken that system.
0: So the winds are so strong that they're sort of negating the gravitational pull of the moon. Yeah. That's a strong wind.
1: Yeah. So the tide doesn't go down with low tide. And then that night, the, when the tide should come back in, m- more water just pours on top of it.
0: Yeah, fucking hell. So so the big big, t- big tide in, then the tide out should sort of level things off, doesn't. Yeah. But the big tide in happens again.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, and the flood defences and the dams, they just can't cope at all. And this flood water just comes firing in covered Horrible. Wow. Um... So there's an awful lot of flooding, uh, and the Netherlands is is badly flooded at this point. But that kind of isn't the end of it, because these mini tides where the water's not going out, but more is coming in, they continue happening. So by mid-afternoon on the 1st of February, the water comes up again. And you've got this horrific situation where people that had survived this first flooding are now dying in the second flood. Or- yeah you know people that have managed to get onto the roofs of their houses it's now sweeping away their houses so they're they're gone i think it was somewhere between 70 and a hundred thousand people needed to be evacuated from this area
0: that's so so many people
1: yeah so we're into sort of day two sort of the second half of the first day of this flooding um but the problem here is that the the government haven't yet been able to put large-scale rescue operations out. And it does say, like, the government... It's, it's said here the government don't know the extent of the damage yet. And again, it's it's part of that 50s pre-media-as-we-know-it world where there's no instant communication like we have it now. Yeah, And there was an explanation of, of sort of amateur radio... Um, transmitters turning up and helping to pass information around by using their amateur sort of equipment. So, so the,
0: fucking hell. It, not only is there nobody there to make the broadcasts, who's listening to amateur radio? Yeah. Well, frequencies.
1: Well, I suppose it's just trying to word of mouth. One person will, and if they can go and tell someone, and then sort of it can help, I guess. Um, so by the 2nd of February, fishermen are starting to appear in boats and get out into the floodwater and rescue stranded people. Um, and then this is a, a bit... Now, it says air rescue was barely possible, and I don't know if this is a 1953 thing or a Netherlands thing. But it says air rescue is barely possible because the Netherlands only had one helicopter.
0: Sorry? They,
1: they only had one helicopter.
0: The nation of the, heli- the Netherlands... Yeah. ..had a helicopter, eh?
1: Single helicopter, and it says they were relying on, like, help from other countries to help with the air relief effort because they only had one helicopter... But right. I, I can't get my head around. I'm like, wasn't what? Vietnam, like, 50s?
0: No, Vietnam was
1: 60s. 60s, OK. But helicopters... Of course,
0: helicopters existed at this point 100%. The Netherlands weren't involved in Vietnam, though.
1: No, I know, but I mean, like, the, the scarcity of helicopters, was that a 50s thing, or was that Netherlands just hadn't really invested in
0: helicopters? I've got... I, 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 I think... Hang on. I don't know. Let me Google this. How
1: many helicopters existed in 1953?
0: When did helicopters what, become popular?
1: <laughs> uh,
0: when did helicopters come into common use? During World War Two. So in 1935, the Germans had the first practical use um helicopter, okay, so I think you know, going what's that another fifteen, twenty years, um, yeah, maybe they just weren't that common,
1: yeah. So there's a lot of sea rescue, basically, is going on. And from the third onwards, a big rescue operation started to mobilise and food and help was moved in. And it does say that, like, it, you know, this is such a horrific story, but the, the international relief effort was huge for the countries affected by this storm. And there was an awful lot of money given to, like, the Red Cross and stuff like that, which is is nice to know that people aren't pricks, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of what was happening in the Netherlands, and then with Britain, obviously, it's the same storm. Um, but I think it kind of comes down the coast, the flooding, uh, as far as the UK is concerned. So Scotland was very badly affected. That uh, north east coast of scotland and then areas of east anglia like canvey but also felixstowe and clacton um and there's a bit here in lincolnshire flooding came in it came as far inland as three kilometers
0: but lincolnshire is so flat Mm. there'll be nothing breaking it will there just be going 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 yeah that's insane
1: yeah. And then what I thought we'd look at just, so there's this website called org, and I could have spent hours on it last night. I sort of, I was reading for ages and I made a few notes and then I was like, man, this is one of those websites that is somebody's labour of love, I think. And it is phenomenal. So if, if kind of, if you have an interest in history and oral history, um, Canvey Island... Dot org. I'm just going to check that I have got that right. I think that's right. Can Yeah, Um And then there's um, like a history section and lots of stuff about the flood. And I think a lot of these interviews were done by somebody called Janet Penn and... Um, and it's basically got a collection of first-hand accounts of the flood. Whoa. And there was way too many for me to kind of read you all of them. But they were, were and are truly amazing. Like, what a thing to have put together, the people that made this website and did this project. And it's insane sitting there reading it. it is really really wonderful so if any of this has like tickled your fancy for hearing more that's your extra reading go to org and just look at these accounts they're amazing so I've got um three that uh, I I thought were quite s- sort of interesting so first of all um there's this incredible account from someone called Mike Brown. And at the time of giving the account to Janet Penn, he's 80 years old. Um, and they did say in the comments section, in words, he has since passed away. So rest in peace, Mike. But he really goes into detail um, at some of the guilt at not having been able to warn people about what was happening. And he really talks about how and why... Like it's haunted him his entire life as to why more warnings weren't given because the flooding had been bad in like other bits of Essex and coming down that East Anglia coast. So why was there no warning system coming in? Because for all of the accounts of Canvey Island, there's people kind of waking up to like an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa going, oh, um, there's flooding happening. And then they're looking at the window going, I don't think so. And then suddenly, bam, wow. it, it's there. So Mike Brown's account, this is quoting here, he says, uh, As I have said, living on a houseboat all my life, I knew on Saturday morning that something was wrong. It's similar to a tsunami. Before the tidal wave hits the land, the sea level drops beforehand. The morning tide was at least eight feet below normal.
0: It is all just in this swell I picking guess, up, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It
1: did not even reach our houseboat, which should have floated with a draught of four foot six, and on a normal tide would have four foot of water below the keel. And he talks about the horrors of it. Like his whole account is fan- is fantastic to read. Um, but he talks about sort of wanting to warn people and sort of being really unsure and kind of going to the other houseboats and going, guys, I don't think, I think something weird's happening here. This isn't right. And people sort of laughing him off. And then he does mention finding the body of someone that had refused to come with him in his dinghy and how <sighs> he just sort of broke at that point. But he was like, I was, I think... He, I think he said he was 20 and and living on a houseboat and who no one was listening to him but it was it was really haunting to hear him talking about the guilt that he's carried with him his whole life from that
0: that sounds really, really interesting. You're right, your homework is good homework, Laura. Yeah. I'd I, I have to take back my previous sentiment of like, homework, loser. No. Nice. So like, yes, I'm going to read that.
1: Such an amazing website, like what a thing, Um And then there's a, an account from um, Len Knapp and... This is, again, where it was interesting, a couple of them. There was a woman's as well that I haven't put in here, but really go and read them. Um, you and hate
0: th- women, don't you, though? So I that do. Makes sense. That makes sense, yeah.
1: And, and they talk about like what they were up to the night before, and everybody's talking about how bright the moon was the night before and the winds. So there's, um, I think it's in Len Knapps, like they were out at the social club the night before, and he says there weren't many people there because... Excuse me, because it was um, so windy and cold um, and we just had a drink. And then and then in the woman's account, she talks about her friend and her walking home after having been out that night um, and like laughing to each other about how strong the wind was. And they were all being buffeted around with absolutely no idea what was coming the next day. So uh, Len Knapp says, A Mr. Bob Stevens lost his daughter and her husband, but their baby, Linda, was found floating in her pram the next morning. They held a birthday party for Linda in our church in the November in gratitude for the saving of her life and wonderful help given by the folks at our Benfleet church. The family gave us the small baptismal font of which we still use. That's nice. And I think when we were in Canvey, one of those murals was a silver cross pram with a baby in it floating in the water.
0: I think it was. Yeah. I think you are, as ever, Laura, bang on the money...
1: Oh, I love that you were giving me a compliment there, but your internet just completely screwed up through it. So it was uh how wonderful. Um
0: Shall I say it again? No, it again. no, I liked it how it was. I don't <laughs>
1: want I don't want an insincere one. That was what it was.
0: As ever, Laura, a real piece of human shit.
1: Yeah. Um, so there you go. And and then this one, now this is haunting. So this is from a guy called Graham Stevens and he was a child at the point of the flooding and he sort of talks about uh it's 4 a.m and his great aunt or or something or his aunt comes and knocks at the door and they're all going like come on we've got to get going and then his mum's asking him to go round the house and take everything that's kept on the floor and put it up so he's going through the shoe cupboard and the larder and just sort of getting everything up but c- kind of in that child way of going why there's no water what what's the matter blah, blah, blah. and then he says I looked out of the door again and I could see the moon's reflection on the ground and I thought that's a bit funny. Then the strangest sensation I'll always remember, the lino turned cold and started to ripple and wobbled under my bare feet. I wasn't frightened, just slightly worried as I found myself ankle deep in freezing water.
0: Oh yeah, you'd just be slightly worried. You're like, no water, moon on the ground, the lino's gone cold. Ah, I'm standing in water, but I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Isn't
1: that the most chilling description, though? Just the lino goes cold and started to ripple and wobble under my bare feet.
0: Yeah. What's this guy do for a living? Is he a writer?
1: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Maybe it's Stephen King.
1: It's not. It's Graham Stevens.
0: But maybe Stephen King is a a non-deplume.
1: Maybe. I'd have thought it'd be quite a big story if Stephen King was writing about... And also, I think he'd write less about Maine and more about Canby Island.
0: Hmm. Do you know what, Laura? On second thought, I don't think it's Stephen King.
1: I think you're right now. I think you were wrong before, but now I think you're right.
0: Maybe it's Lee Child who writes the Jack Reacher books. Why
1: can't it just be Graham Stevens and some people are good at saying stuff and they don't have to be writing thrillers or horror? Stephen King's horror, really, isn't he?
0: Sorry, are you claiming that not everybody has to be a thriller or horror writer?
1: Um, Well, look... If you're in a W.H. Smith, you, yes, everybody has to be. There's no other type of fiction at the moment. But, you know, if you're out in the wild, have you ever written a thriller or a horror book?
0: I suppose, yes. Yeah. Some people have to be greengrocers, don't they?
1: Yeah. I don't know if they do anymore, actually. I think we just need Tesco and that's
0: it. Some people have to work for Amazon.
1: There we go. We gotta have someone to piss in a bottle or how will we get stuff in 24 hours? Um, so there you go, Well, Flooding used to scare the shit out of me when I was little because where I grew up, my um, my little road that my parents live on, that used to flood constantly and I'd get terrified. And I remember once like the flooding being so bad that we had to go to school on a tractor because we couldn't get through it um so these i don't know they really i found it very very moving being on the canby website it was i think it's an incredible piece of work putting all those stories together and just what a what an intensely terrifying thing to have happened
0: i'm gonna add nothing more other than i completely agree i was gonna make a little joke and i thought no that would really minimize the thing you've just said so do you know what Yes.
1: Yeah. So, we're going to leave the regular listeners here now and go and tell the patrons some amazing stories from the Great Flood of 1953. If you'd like to become a patron... Come along to patreon.com forward slash national treasures and then from now on you will be getting an episode every week A Years and Years where we do a deep dive on a year. You'll also get access to the back catalogue of two years of Years and Years content. Uh, And if you don't decide to join us there, then we will see you twice a month from now on with two different years per month.
0: We will and we look forward to it, Laura.
1: Hooray, we do. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.